Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org forward slash OC. I'm excited for today. I get to kind of jump off the back end of what Pastor Ben spoke last week, which is amazing. And he's talking about the parable of the sower and how the different things that try to choke out or get rid of the things that God's planted in your heart. So how do we like walk out? How do we find these things to get planted in our hearts and change to begin to happen? And so I want to read one of my favorite verses. We're going to talk about one of my favorite topics. And so I trimmed it down for 35 minutes so you guys can go to the game, but I could talk for a long time about this. All right. So don't worry, breathe, take a deep breath. Let's relax on, focus on the Lord. Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verse one says this. Now present your bodies as a living sacrifice for that is your reasonable service It's not like a big deal. That's like kind of the base entry level. It's your reasonable service to him, right? Then it says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by the testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and what is perfect. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can By the testing, you can discern what is the will of God, what is the good, acceptable, and the perfect. Title of my talk today is My Mind is Set. I heard the story the other day of a young politician and activist back in his teenage years, and he was doing some grassroots campaigns, and he was working with some small business owners, and he was talking to them about his political party's platform, and he was so confused on why they chose not to vote for his party, and he says, our party's platform is far better for small business owners. And the man answered back to him, he says, yes, but I don't want to stay a small business owner. He says, people don't vote for where they are, they vote for where they want to go. Now, I'm not making a political statement here at all, I'm just using that as an analogy. But my point is this, in our human condition, we really do not stay neutral. We are moving in one direction or the other in terms of formation. We are being formed by something. We're either being formed by conversations and things that we ingest and culture and media or whatever it may be, church. We are being formed by something. There's no such thing as neutrality. You are, every single person, every human that has ever lived has been formed by something. It's really a part of our condition. Now the question is, who are you becoming? That's the question we must ask. Christianity is not about doing or not doing, it's about what? Becoming. So the question is, who are we becoming? Who are we becoming? Who are we being formed into? And Romans chapter 12 kind of paints this picture. The book of Romans is broken up into four sections. The first section is righteousness required. The first four chapters are about just telling us that you need Jesus, right? You ever read that? You're just like, man, I just kind of feel bad about myself. Yeah, that's the point. It's trying to let you know you need Jesus, all right? Conviction's good. The second portion of it is how do I receive it? So now I know I need righteousness. How do I receive it? It's by faith. I put my faith in Jesus and by grace and his mercy, I receive his righteousness. The third section is how do we reject it? We see he gives us examples how the children of Israel actually rejected the righteousness of God is in front of them. Then the last four chapters is all about righteousness revealed. It's walked out in your life. This is how you live it out. This is how righteousness, not just a concept in your mind, but it's a, it, it, it's a character in which you live in. And it starts out with saying, present yourself as a living sacrifice for that's your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
So the understanding is this. We will either be conformed to the patterns of this world and the cultures of this world, or we will be transformed by the renewing and the patterns of the kingdom of God. But they're not necessarily, in fact, they're not compatible. And so we have to understand who are we becoming? See, we don't make decisions in life for where we're at. Whether we realize it or not, whether conscious or subconscious, we make decisions on who we want to become. So so within the inside of who we are, the decisions and the directions that we do within our life always are coming from a place of who we want to become, not necessarily where we are at. We make financial decisions about where we want to be financially. We make business decisions decisions about where we want to be business-wise. We make family decisions based on where we want to be as a family. We make personal decisions based on where we want to be personally. Every decision we make, I believe, is rooted in who we are becoming. It's important that we understand who are we becoming. Are we being conformed to a patterns of this world or are we being transformed by the renewing of our mind? The Greek word that's used in this particular passage for mind is a complex mental state involving beliefs, feelings, values, and a disposition to certain ways or actions. So it's a disposition. It's a position. It's complex. The human mind is complex, right? I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm not going to come up here and let, you know, tell you that I have a doctorate in psychology because I do not. But I think we can all agree, especially if you're married, it's complex, right? It's like you say one thing, but you really meant this. You meant one thing and you really said this. I don't know what's going on because the human mind, the human condition can sometimes be complex. And sometimes for the sake of making it kind of easy to serve everyone, we try to boil down this message so simply that, that we actually maybe avoid the things and say, oh, it's not, it doesn't need to be complex. Well, humanity is complex and God created us that way. But that doesn't mean that we can't be healed. That doesn't mean we can't be restored. But what I'm trying to say is renewing of your mind is not as easy as just saying, hey, my mind's renewed because I prayed today. That may not be the case. Because some of us pray all the time and I'm not sure if your mind's renewed. I'm not sure if my mind's renewed. So I want to kind of give us a better distinction because really uh, the Hebrews in the Old Testament, they didn't really, there was no distinction between spirit, soul, and mind. They were all kind of one thing. Depending on the context and the sentences and the words that were used, it would kind of determine what word they would use, whether it was spirit, soul, or mind. But they kind of always thought of the things that were unseen as one thing because our body and our physical is seen and we have the five senses, but the, the, the other parts of us, our spirit, soul, and our mind are kind of, you can't really see them. You can't see your thoughts. And so they would kind of lump it into one thing. But now Paul, who would understand the Greek philosophy and the Gentiles, he really be, began to bring into an understanding as the Gentiles would understand because they were these great pontificators and philosophers and they understood the human mind was, was so powerful. He begins to bring into a zoning into, it's not just your spirit or your soul that those are important, but he's really talking about your mind. So I want to kind of bring greater clarity. The mind is made up of ideas, information, images, and the ability to think. Ideas, information, images and the ability to think. That's obviously an overarching definition. Our mind creates the framework on how we see the world and what we believe about it. Your mind, our thinking, creates a framework on how we see the world and what we believe about it. So in this passage, it's saying the inclinations of your mind will dictate the actions of your life. So if you are unhappy with the actions of your life, I would go back to where's my thinking broken? 
Where's my thinking at? How do I think about these things? And God wants to transform that. God wants to transform our thinking. He wants to renew our mind. He didn't say, present your bodies as a living sacrifice and stop sinning. We would all be like, oh, well, I'm out, you know. He didn't say, hey, just, just obey more. No, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice that's your reasonable service to me. And now let your mind be transformed. Let your thinking begin to change because how you see the world is what you believe about the world and really will determine how you live in this world. Successful Christian living is our minds being renewed so we can test what God's will is and put it to practice in everything we do. God's will is the way that I would define it is God's decisions and God's direction. God's decisions and God's direction. So what would God do and how would God do it? And where does God want me to? So sometimes we lack direction in life or we, we don't know. So God, what would you do in this situation or, or, or where would you go? And God wants to give you direction and he wants to let you know his decisions, but it's directly correlated to the level in which our mind is renewed. It says you can put this will to the test and it's the good, the acceptable and the perfect. So that means that there's levels to this game. So we actually can limit and understanding the direction in which God is leading us in our life and the decisions that God has made, not because God is withholding, but because our mind has not been renewed to the capacity in which he can reveal what he wants to reveal. So there are some things in our, our thinking that are broken that God wants to reveal direction and reveal decisions, but it, it's actually not compatible yet because how we see the world and what we believe about it is incompatible with what he wants to reveal to us. Learning what God would do and the directions he would go. The whole goal of this is that the Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside out, it transforms our thinking, that obedience becomes spontaneous and natural. Obedience kind of gets a bad rap, right? My parents would always say this to me, Jake, delayed obedience is disobedience. And I'm like, oh man, like I disobey a lot. So obedience in the kingdom of God is about becoming spontaneous and natural. What does that mean? That the direction that God would go and the decisions that God would make become so natural to you because God has renewed your mind. So his decisions become your decisions. His direction becomes your direction. And over time, you don't even have to think about what God would do. It's just coming out of you already. It's so natural and spontaneous. It's like God has transformed me so much now. That, does, that takes time and God is okay with immaturity. I don't tell my three-year-old, why do you act like a 20-year-old? But when my 20-year-old, if he's 20 and he still acts like he's three, that's a problem. So as God is maturing your thinking, he is not angry, he's not mad at if you are not where you need to be. But over time, the goal should be that obedience becomes spontaneous and natural and just a part of who you are, not because you are so great and so self-righteous, but because the Holy Spirit has, very, has, has transformed who you are from the inside out and he's begun to renew your mind and your thinking. So today I wanna to focus on two aspects or elements of our mind that I think are the most present on our daily lives. And that is ideas and images. Ideas and images. And I think we can look at these different areas and the Holy Spirit wants to bring into alignment our ideas and our images so we can begin to see God's decisions and God's direction for our life. I would argue that if we lack direction or we don't know God's decisions, it's directly connected to certain ideas 
or images that need to be transformed by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing is transforming ideas. Ideas is a general model of assumption about reality. It's the framework in which you see the world. Or let me put it this way. It's the lens in which you see things or interpret things. Oftentimes it's very abstract. It's very kind of like, it's so natural to us that we don't really understand what ideas we see the world. But I'll give you a great example. Depending on the ideas of how you see scripture and what you think it's about will determine sometimes what you get out of scripture. That's why it's important when you study scripture that you are, un, you are aware of your maybe preconceived ideas or preconceived lenses. So if I think the Bible is all about me, when I read the story of David and Goliath, I'm like, I'm David. I will slay every giant in my path. Yeah. The Bible is for you, but it's not about you. It's about Jesus. But depending on the lens in which we were taught, guess what? Our interpretation can actually begin to shift in a way that's not the way that God intended. Isn't God so good that he allows human error? He doesn't make us robots. He gave us minds. He gave us the ability to think, and he wants to renew them. But ideas are this kind of general assumption of the world. Ideas are often subtle, so ingrained into our thinking that it's kind of natural. And the culture that kind of flows from it, or the, it, it, they begin to define what our ideas are. So culture always comes from a framework of ideas. It always does. So let me give you an example, a couple of different examples of ideas that we have. We have, a, we have ideas of what freedom is, right? Freedom is, it, the, the wrong idea of freedom is I can do whatever I want. But who the sun sets free is free indeed, so you can't tell me not to do that because I'm free. I'm not bound by your religion. Okay, that's not what that verse is saying. But based on an idea of what freedom is, we actually can misinterpret what God is saying about freedom. Or, or what about this, uh, spirituality. There is a lens and idea, a framework of spirituality throughout our world. If you want to tell people about Jesus, the best way to start nowadays is, hey, are you spiritual? 90% of people are like, super spiritual. I charge my crystals with the moon and I just, you know. Everyone's spiritual nowadays. The problem, is, the thing is this, in, in the church we're so afraid of the supernatural because we think people will be like weirded out by it. Are you kidding me? Everyone believes in spiritual things now, but the idea of what is spirituality is, is different than maybe what the definition of God has of spirituality. What about success? How we define success or the American dream. The American dream is an idea and we've made it gospel. <laughs> That's an idea that you have to, you have the right to pursue happiness and how you define happiness and that you have to have a house, a kid, cars, all this stuff. And if you don't do it by this age, then you are a failure. Why, why is it that we have 20 and 30 year olds struggling in a mental health crisis because they have set a standard of success and a dream that maybe God didn't set for them. And so when you don't meet it, and you're not married by a certain time, you don't have kids by a certain time, you don't have the house, you don't have the 401k, you don't have the salary, you don't have all this. You're sitting there saying, I have no direction, I have no decisions, I don't know who I am, I'm depressed, what's going on? And it's because of a wrong idea of what success 
is. Ideas can be identified by the culture or the patterns in our life that come the most natural to us. Ideas can be difficult to define, right? The best way to define them is what comes most natural to you. What patterns in your life become most natural is usually the ideas in which you live by. That's why it says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if there are patterns in your life that are so normal, and it's the things that you don't, need, you don't think about, the things that you don't, need, you, you don't feel like you need to explain. I believe success is one of those things. We don't feel like we need to explain to anyone what success is in life. If we ask someone, are you successful, what are we asking them about? We're asking about usually three things, possessions, positions, and promotions. Do you have possessions? Do you have the right position? And are you, do you have upward mobility in your life? Are you getting promotions? Now, those things are not bad within themselves. But is that God's definition of success? Is that his idea of success? Possessions, positions, and promotions. Well, I would argue that in Joshua 1, 7 and 8, it says, meditate on the word day and night and you will have success and your ways will be prosperous. That word success is defined to be prudent and to understand. So success to God is as you chew and meditate on the word and you think about the word and you speak the word, it is that you actually get a revelation from the very spirit of God of what the word means and to be prudent means then you know what to do with it. Because have you ever met someone who knows what the word means but has no idea what to do with it? He like preaches every, to every person they meet, right? It's, it's, God doesn't want you just to know what the word is and what the word says. He wants you to know how he would say it, right? In spirit and in truth. And, and, and there's, this, there's this spirit and then there's truth, but there's the spirit of love, right? So God isn't coming at it angry and using it as a weapon. God is using it in a way that's building and uplifting and bringing the same revelation of Christ himself that you got. So it's not enough just to know what to say, but God says, let me reveal how to say it. That is what success is in the kingdom of God. Now, whether you have positions, possessions, and promotions is kind of an afterthought at at that point, because you understand that those are just a gift from God to be stewarded, to be, you know, to, to, to have wisdom, but it's still just a gift from God. So this is what it means to have these different ideas. The process of renewing your mind is recognizing the frameworks and the patterns in our lives and our thinking and replacing them with Christ framework and Christ patterns. Okay, so Philippians 2 says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, from love, any participation in the spirit, any affliction, uh, affliction and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not look only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The ideas of the kingdom of God, what brings us together, that's what brings us together, is how God sees the world. We should have this, our, our, our worldview is, is how does Christ see the world? How does God see the world? And in Christ, there's a new worldview, and it's personified in this. You ready? A lack of selfish ambition, a lack of self-absorption, and a lack of self-promotion. We cannot live with a framework of the kingdom of God and be self-oriented still. 
It's moving from a self-oriented life to a God-oriented life or a self-centered life to a God-centered life. So our community and our kingdom and our worldview should be shifted to how do I serve others? How do I give others and how do I worship God properly? This is the kingdom of God. It's counter to culture. It is a God-centered or a God-oriented life, and from there, everything begins to change. That is where our idea frame begins with its renewal. It's being shifting to a God-centered life and asking the question, are these areas in my thinking God-centered or self-centered? And the second one is 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is chapter 2 says this, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit. So if we think as a self-centered life, guess what we're not gonna do? Accept the things of the spirit. A self-centered life is contrary to the spirit-centered or God-centered life. So accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is, only, is judged by no one. For who, for who understands the mind of God has to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is Christ's attitude and Christ's approach. We have Christ's attitude and Christ's approach. We have Christ, it it's helps us recognize dangerous ideas at the center of our life that, that, that God can replace and then he can re- remove and replace these dangerous ideas. Why? By giving us his way of thinking. God doesn't want to just give you his direction. He wants to give you his decisions. And in fact, as long as we walk in obedience to his decisions and those become natural, guess what? His direction becomes a natural outflow of that. So oftentimes we want direction and we want purpose. How many of you want purpose? Raise your hand. Come on. I already know. Some of you lying. We come to church every week. I need direction. I need where to go. And God is saying, if you want direction, learn to walk in my decisions. How would I walk? What decisions would I would make? And it's the mind of Christ that gives you Christ's attitude and Christ's approach. So once again, it's not just what would Christ do, but how would he do it? And it's the level of what God can trust in our obedience and that is walking out is the level of clarity of direction that we begin to walk in. And this is directly connected to we have the mind of Christ. We have a new attitude and a new approach to life, a new way of seeing the world, a new lens in which we interpret things, and it is through the kingdom of God and it is through the mind of Christ himself. And it is very, only the spirit of God can reveal the thoughts of God, it says in Corinthians. So if you want to know what God thinks, ask the spirit of God. He'll reveal the thoughts of God. So the second thing we have to have transformed, first thing is transforming ideas. The second thing is transforming images. Images. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments of every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I love in the King James Version, it says, every vain imagination, every vain imagination. The place where our spiritual warfare takes place is with these strongholds, which is images Images which are concrete beliefs that we have in our life. These images are, have a connection to feelings. There's like a, there's a, 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 a reaction to them because they become so concrete, so firm. They're, they're tangible. And they're always built upon usually a deformed idea system. So images are the outworking of a deformed idea system. So if we think all Christians are hypocrites, it's an idea, Right? We come to church, someone cuts us off in the parking lot, they're all mean. It's like, I knew it! 
It becomes an image. It confirms the worldview in which we already see. I knew that all Christians were hypocrites. I knew it. I knew it. All men are evil. You go to the Rams game and you see some dude going crazy. He's like, I knew it. That guy's crazy. All men are evil. So these images actually begin to, to solidify these dangerous idea systems. And the way that I would put it is they become idols. They become things that we begin to change our direction. The decisions and the direction of our life are always based off the images in which we're looking towards. So we make decisions based off marriage because of how we view men. We make a decision based off uh, um, uh, uh, money on because we've always had money or we've never had money. See, the idea system of money can be the same way. We can have no money, and the moment we get money, we spend it because it's like, well, if I don't, you know, I got to, while I have it, I got to spend it because I may never get it back. So out of fear of not getting more, we just spend, and we don't steward what God has given us. So that's a wrong idea about money compounded with a wrong image that then starts a bad pattern in our life that we don't know how to handle money. Or on the other side, we have a lot of money. It's like, well, when I go to church, people just want my money. And our fear is losing what we have. So we go to church and we do an offering. It's like, I knew it. They just wanted my money. So what happens is this. Then we become greedy. And that becomes an image. That becomes an idol. How do we begin to worship money? It's because we had a wrong idea of money. And then an image began to, to solidify that belief. And then it becomes the very thing that changes and dictates our direction and our decisions in our life. This happens with relationship. This happens with everything in our life that we begin to have a wrong idea that's solidified with an image that turns into an idol. These dangerous ideas create images that we worship. Romans chapter one. says he gave them up to a debased mind. So first it came to their thinking, a darkened mind. Gave them up to a debased mind. Then it says this, they gave up worship for the creator, for the creation. So they changed how they worshiped. And then what begins to happen is this, they suppress the truth for a lie. So this is it. It's all of us. We always do this. We take ideas, right? And then it's in our thinking, so wrong ideas then become images and idols that we begin to worship. Instead of worshiping the creator, we worship the creation. And that goes all the way down the list. Sexuality, anger, malice, greed, gossip, all go down the list. And it's like, these are wrong idea systems of how we view things. And then it just comes in and compounds into an image or an idol and say, this is what defines my direction and my decisions. And then this is what begins to happen. We begin to worship these things and we, begin to, and, we, and we begin to dress it up as if we're worshiping God. But it's the idea system compounded with this experience that begins to build this connection. The idea about money, like I said, creates a false image about money. Or how about the idea about fathers? Maybe your father created an idea system or a lens in which you see fatherhood. And then the image in which you worship is always connected to the father wound that you have. Maybe it's go down to, to, to these different social classes or how we grew up or, or even church. We have an idea in our minds of this is what church is supposed to be. If it's not that, it's not church. So if we come on a Sunday and for us Pentecostals and it's not like people rolling on the ground sprinting with their shoes off, we're like, that's not holy. They didn't get it. And for like the Baptist, it's like, man, they didn't read enough scripture. 
right? We have ideas of what it should be, and we sometimes worship the outworking, not that those things are bad, but we worship the outworking more than the person who we're supposed to be worshiping. See, the, the, the combination of ideas and images become how we receive or perceive events in life. So something can happen to you, and you, can th- you ever seen someone who's happened two different ways to say this in youth ministry? This is kind of my whole life, right? At camp, someone come up to me, Pastor Jake, there was a full-on brawl in the lunchroom. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So I go talk to somebody else who was there. I said, they said there was a full-on brawl. What did you see? Oh, it wasn't that bad. It's just kids being kids. Right? It's two different perspectives of the same event. Depending on what our idea system is and our images, it actually begins to change how we receive events that happen to us. So much so that we actually can become blind to the things that are in front of us. There are things that God wants to reveal to us, but there are too many images in front of us that we can't see what God wants to reveal. That's why we need each other. And that's why we need scripture, because scripture is what? A mirror. That when we look at it, it looks right back at us and says, that's an image that needs to be removed. That's an idol that's in your way that you're seeing this in the wrong way because it's not of the kingdom of God. That's called conviction. And so understanding that when it says this, I was saying this to my, the last service, me and my brothers growing up, we'd always like kind of call each other out because we're pastor's kids, right? Hey, stop doing that. And this is always our response. Why don't you take the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of mine, right? My cousin's on the front row. You can, he can attest to this. It's just, that was like our response. It's such like a church kid thing. It's just like you quote a scripture of like, why don't you just take the plank out of your own eye, bro? <laughs> the funny thing is this. Jesus never said, though, that you could never pull the speck out. He just first says the plank needs to come out. The plank is an image. Sometimes the speck is just maybe a, a course correction. So yeah, you still should help your brother out and pull the speck out of their eye, but first God needs to reveal the planks in our eyes. And there are things that we are blinded to, not because God is mean or withholding, but because we can't see it because of the images that we are worshiping other than him. In the garden, and Dallas Willard says this, Eve did not get hit with a stick. She got hit with an idea. In In the garden, the idea was that God was untrustworthy, that he was withholding, that, he, he, that she could be on the same level as him. So from that idea came an action, which then built what? An image. An image of distance between God and man, which is sin. An image that God was angry. An image of shame, of, of guilt, of, remo- of this distance of self-rejection or self-hate. And what began to happen is the very framework of humanity was changed forever. God's image was tainted by sin. It was tainted by sin. And so now when we think of God, we think of God as this distant figure with a white beard who's angry at us, just trying to tell us what to do. But sin has distorted and given us a wrong idea of God, which then has produced a wrong image. And we're not even worshiping God the way that God wants to be worshiped because we have a wrong idea about who God is. That is why he sent Jesus. 
Who says he is the, he who knew no sin became sin so we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It says in Hebrews 1 that he is the exact imprint of God's image. So what does that mean? Jesus came down to this earth to restore God's image to us and show you that is what your idea says about me, but this is who I really am. It's a self-definition of God himself. You know what I can't stand is when people put words in my mouth and define who I am. God was tired of it too. So he said, hey, I'm gonna send my son so I can tell you this is who I am. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This is the image of God. You ever wanted to know how God looks and how God acts and how God lives? Look at Jesus. You wanna look at how God thinks? Look at Jesus. You wanna look how God would serve and, and treat other people? Look at Jesus. He is the image of God himself. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. It is Jesus. This is what we preach. This is what we believe. This is why we have an image that we look at God and we worship Jesus and say, you are the image. You are the object of my obsession. You are the focus of my life. And get this, if we want to become more like Jesus, he's got to be the image in which we are pursuing. Because I don't make decisions based off where I am but where I wanna go. And if I wanna become more like Jesus, when I say no to the flesh, it's not being religious, it's because it's saying, I wanna be more like my image. I wanna be more like the person that I'm chasing after. So yes, there are things in my life that are incompatible and I will repent and I will say, I'm not gonna do it. Why? Because I'm chasing an image and his name is Jesus. So if God says I can be holy because Jesus was holy, I'm going to pursue that. If God says I can be pure because Jesus was pure, I'm going to pursue that. If God says that I can be someone who is full of joy, then I'm going to pursue that. Someone who's full of peace, and I'm going to pursue that. Why? Because he is the image of our worship. He is it. He wants to transform our ideas, but then he wants to then put in place a new image. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this. In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds to the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The greatest image that has ever been portrayed. God is so specific. I'm reading a book right now. It's written by an atheist. He does not believe Jesus is God, but it is literally a historical account tracing back to the cross about how the crucifixion of Jesus Christ changed the world forever, changed the idea structure. It's been counterfeited by the world. They try to take our, you know, Christ's ideas and counterfeit them, but we can trace it back to, he's saying, historically, he's proving this. And it was a man from Nazareth who was, had a ministry and was given the most shameful death that you can be given on a cross outside the city, full of shame. Even Pontius Pilate, a pagan, says, I perceive that this man has no fault in him. That is the image of who our God is. Jesus on the cross. He says, I love you this much that I'm gonna take myself, I'm gonna go into the human form, I'm gonna live a life that was perfect and sinless, and I'm gonna die so that you could have access to me again. It's the portrayal of sacrificial love. He laid down his life for ours. That is the image in which we worship a God who is loving, who is giving, who is generous. The word that I defined to you early on in mind is 
one of the words used in the New Testament, but the second most frequent used word is the word metanoia, which is the same word that we would say is repent. Now, this is the thing. Sometimes we think repent is like the person at the Super Bowl who's inevitably going to be yelling at people, repent or you're going to hell, right? But repenting is really a matter of thinking. And it's aligning my thinking to the word of God. So if there are areas in my life that I'm reading through ideas, you know, as I read the scripture and ideas come or images pop back up that are contrary to the kingdom of God, you know what repenting is? It's saying, God, replace that idea and image with your idea and image. And I'm going to change my mindset towards that. And I'm going to turn. So when we look at the image of Jesus Christ, and when he says, repent for the kingdom of God is near, what he's saying is change how you think about the kingdom of God, because it's now. So when we look at Jesus on the cross who died for our sins, it's not just, wow, I believe in that. It's something different. It's a repentance of saying, wow, God, I am now shifting how I think about the world because of that image you portrayed. Am I willing to lay down my life as you lay down yours? Am I willing to eat, eat your flesh and drink, you know, drink your blood? Am I willing to give it all up as you did? And if I am, I change my thinking and I follow your way. That is repentance. And that is the image in which we worship, a perfect, sinless God who died on the cross for you and for me and says, I am now gonna give you my very spirit so I could transform who you are so you don't have to stay where you're at and do what you're doing, but the very transformation of God can come from the inside out to where my direction and my decisions become natural and spontaneous. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.